Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Riccardo, inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, and boy, are we keeping score. Incredible resilience in the sports industry, but we still obviously have a long, long, long way to go. Let's start with our deal-making minutes, 3 to 1. Number 3, global sponsorship spending will decline by about $17 billion in 2020. The coronavirus pandemic has put sports sponsorship into free fall, with worldwide spending expected to plummet 37%, according to a new study by two cities. The International Sports Marketing Agency projects global sponsorship fees decline a staggering $17.2 billion from $46.1 billion in 2019 to about $28.9 billion this year. Financial services, the leading category in sports sponsorship spending, predicted to take the biggest hit, declining 45% from $12.58 billion to about $6.92 billion. Automotive, energy, and airlines also will cut their sponsorship spend, the study forecast. Two Circle Senior Vice President of Consulting Sam Yardley said, We believe the marketing power and appeal of sport will endure, but this is not a short-term industry concern. We've got a long road ahead of us, he says, and clearly he's right. Cuts in spending will be prompted both by negative business results and unprecedented sponsorship renegotiations, rebates, and make goods that sports properties will have to issue to cover games and seasons missed. That's number three. Number two, NFL teams could lose a combined $5.5 billion in stadium revenue if the 2020 season is played behind closed doors. The NFL season is still scheduled to get underway in September, but concerns remain over whether fans will be able to attend games. Obviously, a sharp loss of ticket parking, sponsorship concession, and merchandise sales would result. According to Forbes, empty stadiums will mean teams losing 38% in combined revenue compared to 2018. The Cowboys could stand to lose $621 million in stadium revenue from total revenue of $950 million, projected loss that's more than the total revenue of any other NFL franchise. The Patriots could miss out on $315 million, with the Giants losing $262. For the three teams, the figures equate to more than half of their total revenue. The two bottom teams on Forbes' rankings, the Chargers and Raiders, are heading to new venues and were set for substantial increases in game day income as a result. An empty stadium season would hit players' pockets, too. In March, the league agreed to a new CBA that allocated 47% of football-related income to the players in 2020 and 48% in 2021. That's number two. Number one, IOC President Thomas Bach said his organization prepared to spend up to $800 million to cover increased costs associated with the postponement of the Tokyo Games. That total includes up to $650 million for incremental operating expenses. The remainder comprises up to $150 million in financial aid to support international federations. That increased funding will come from the IOC, though Bach noted the Olympic Foundation may also be tapped. Reducing expenses remains a priority for the IOC, and Bach said the organization, leaving no stone unturned, as it always looks to trim its budget. Everything's being discussed, everything on the table, he said. And in the meantime, 
Digiday noted that some of IOC's 14 global sponsors, including Toyota and Visa, have developed Olympics ads and social media activity that reflects the current coronavirus situation, while others, like Coca-Cola, have simply postponed. Sponsors spend upwards of $100 million for a four-year stint in the Olympic TOP program. With much of that money already invested, marketers seeing what benefits they can and proudly trumpeting their Olympic partner status, being creative despite the games now being more than a year away. And that's number one. Clearly all related to the coronavirus and will be for the foreseeable future. Segwaying into an interesting perspective. We have pundits, we have athletes, we have executives. Time for a well-respected national and international academic, Lisa Delpy Narati. She's the Associate Professor of Sport Management at George Washington University, but she's also the co-founder of the Sports Industry Networking and Career Conference that was ironically held the last week in February. She's an expert on sports travel, sports philanthropy, economic spectator and market research studies. Clearly, she had no idea at the end of February the magnitude of the problem we were about to face. But when I spoke at her conference, we spent a good deal of time talking about what might be ahead. Turned out was my last trip on the road and a last trip for many of you as well. Very interesting perspective from Lisa Delpe Narati. Inside the boardroom, beyond the scoreboard, pleased to be at a conference over the last two days, the Sports Industry Networking Career Conference, George Washington University. It is pioneered, run, implemented by good friend Lisa Delpe Narati, the Associate Professor of Sport Management, George Washington University. But she's so much more. Thank you for doing this. Well, thank you, Rick, and you've been a supporter from the beginning. Yeah, but the beginning is a while ago, and you've taken it to the next level. So, you know, the field of sports business has morphed so dramatically in the last few years. You entered the field, doesn't have the date on here. Is that deliberate? Is because that you don't want to talk about how long you've been in the business? When did you start? Well, I think you can actually say I started 1983 when I had my first internship with the US Olympic Committee yeah and at that time really sports marketing was not a thing I started in the exercise physiology lab but I was taking the sponsors on tours and I realized that I like being out of the lab with the corporate sponsors more than in the lab and that's when I turned my direction more toward business well that's where the money is so you you do you a profound uh, acknowledgement 27 years ago, I think it is. Well, I've been t at George Washington University for 29 years now. Yeah, so really the idea of understanding there's a business here, but then to turn it into a basically world-renowned academic repository too, that, that took a lot of work. Well, you know, I saw the Olympics as a platform where new technology or techniques of marketing and management and so I started studying that. And so the idea of creating a program from scratch, uh, you look back on those days in the early 80s, how hard was that to do? You know, at that time there were three programs. I was the first in the School of Business. Uh, of, now there's over 300. Yeah. So, you know, at that time we needed to get the word out that this was a legit business. When I first came in, they said, oh, am I a cheerleader? And I said, yeah, no, I'm not right. a cheerleader. I am involved with the 22nd largest industry in the United States. What do you do? Yeah, and right. then they started taking me a little bit serious when I started throwing out numbers and how big this industry is. And God forbid a woman, too. Oh, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so over the years, 
it's been great to grow it and GW's been you know wonderful allowing me to do the undergrad program grad program we have three grad programs and now two certificates a sport philanthropy certificate and a uh, youth sports certificate and the sport philanthropy as you know for corporate sponsors um, corporate social responsibility is just growing and understanding you know pairing sports with the sport for good and corporate social um, responsibility is is just growing. Let's talk about the philanthropic aspect of it for a second. The numbers that I've seen and use are that that whole spending increases 12% year over year, which is more than any other category. And we all think that it's corporate leaders not just checking a box, but doing great by doing good because they also see that there's direct and indirect relationship to ROI. Do you see some of that as well? Oh yes, the young, younger generation, they're serious and they're looking at every corporation. And so you can't just check a box anymore right. because they'll call you out. And with social media these days, you're, you're called out and it just goes viral. Inst instantly. Yeah, you can't yeah. hide right. with social media. Yeah, and so philanthropy, obviously a big deal, but we've yet to see the whole philanthropic um, uh, approach uh, leap into academia as quickly as you've embraced it. EverFi has a tremendous corporate program. There are a lot of individual corporations that have set a standard, but you've taken a leap of faith and created a discipline around it, basically. Well, the one thing that I think I'm most proud about my academic uh, endeavors is yeah. that I've tried to be uh, a leader. And so early on, I saw the connection between sports and travel and started the Teams yeah. Conference, Travel Events and Management and Sport. Now there's over 300 cities in the United States that have sports commissions and yeah. their whole focus is on you know, bringing events to their city for economic development. But you know, I saw that kind of early on and the same thing here is that I saw that strong connection for sport for social good and started this program. The other thing that I notice uh, uh, at the risk of overflattering but being very generous uh, or very, very serious about it is the number of students and former students who are genuinely devoted to you and this cause. This is a two-day love fest. Well, one, the, my favorite thing about being a professor is watching the students get a career and grow. And as my husband says, you know, I probably have too many friends now, but I, you know, it's, they really are the, um, I pick up the calls and help them with their careers, not only at the beginning, but as they go into that executive level. And it's just great. I learned so much from them because they share their challenges and they ask me questions, but that makes me relevant. And you know, I, I learn just as much as I share, I think. Well, I'm going to, Trump's the wrong word, I'm gonna trump you now by saying <laughs> that you know, you're 25 years and I will do a lecture with your folks with the 50 years of the sports business. And so things change from different perspectives what do you think the biggest change has been from your perspective from 25 years ago to date? They need to be a lot more analytical, mm -hmm. not just with numbers, but with software programs in terms of Adobe Photoshop, with graphics. You know, so many of the positions now are in social media, mm -hmm. in apps, in websites. And so, you know, I tell my students, look, we don't really are going to spend time in class on you learning those 
programs, you need to do that outside of class, but have those skill sets to bring into your internship and into your classwork. So I assign things that I don't teach, I just expect them to have those abilities to do. How do you feel about the structure of the sports business? I mean, my sense is that it's a lot more structure than it was 25 and God knows 50 years ago, but there are also a lot more people, A, who want to be in it, B, who are probably qualified to be in it, and certainly will do anything to get in it. Right. You know, I've been running our internship program for years, and you know, it does with so many new programs, sports management programs, and so many people trying to get in. You know, teamwork online never existed. Yeah. You know, many years ago when I started, and with that platform, you just get people not in programs that are trying to break in. Uh, but it's difficult for them without having an advisor on the back end from the academic perspective. And I always advise you know, students or people looking to get into the industry, if you're going to get a master's or, or a degree, you need to make sure your professors are there to support you, not just during your program, but afterwards. What about the substance of education in sports? What's your advice? to a student who wants to break in, doesn't know he, what he or she wants to do, but just wants to get in. Make sure that you get your degree in a business school. This is a business and you need to know yeah. accounting and finance and understand how you know, sports you know, makes money and how it's spent. Yeah. And so I really advise people that they have to look at it from a business perspective and get into a business school. From the business of, of, of Lisa and perpetuating the academic world here, you've gotten a lot more corporate benefactors, a lot more supporters, teams are stepping up to help you. This is the real deal. It's been the real deal for a long time, but have you noticed that the whole industry is taken a bit more seriously now than it used to be? Yes. I mean, I think a lot more people are looking at sports as that place we can all gather yeah. and you know nowadays we don't want to talk about too much outside of our lives besides sports right. and yeah. so I think you know it's our a community gathering place and it's just being high profile there are problems and we're yeah. dealing with it so nothing's a panacea but I think the more we talk about the, the good of sports and with the sport philanthropy and more athletes contributing back I think uh, it's only going to raise the profile of sports business more. Unfair question, I'm going to ask it anyway. Five years from now, look in your crystal ball, and what's the biggest tipping point, the biggest activator in the sports business that's going to affect people? And not, not anything we don't, that we necessarily don't anticipate, but just the biggest thing in five years. I think it's going to be the broadcast rights. Mm -hmm. I'm really trying to get my head around where we're going with this. By the way, so is everybody else, right? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, eSports has this, the challenge of the publishers not wanting to be exclusive with one group, but then their broadcast rights are really low. Mm -hmm. And when I say broadcast, it could be um, linear or over-the-top OTT. Right. So right now, NFL has huge broadcast rights, and they're pretty exclusive. What happens if they become non-exclusive because they're trying to do more OTTs yeah. and, and keep everybody happy, keep those people who want linear and non-linear? I, I just don't know. And I think that's going to be the tipping point. Well, you know, the beauty of that answer is 
you're the first human being that I've asked that question to admits that she or he doesn't know. <laughs> really, but, but nobody knows where this is going, and I guess that's part of the beauty of it. One thing that kind of worries me is that I've talked to many executives in leagues, and they don't seem worried about it. They feel that they're going to be able to splice it and dice it and still come out equal or a greater. How do you feel, just uh, to finish this thread, about the, the Amazons and the Facebooks and Snapchats entering the field and therefore leveraging the bids up for everybody? They're entering the field, but they are very analytical and right. they know exactly how much to pay and they won't overspend. Right. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see. Now, Amazon may spend a little extra if they can justify it through marketing their ever other services. All right, so back to Lisa. You having fun doing this? How long are you doing this? No, it's it's great. I'm, I'm on sabbatical right now, and I came back, so that's how much fun I'm wait, having. Wait, wait, you're on sabbatical right now? Yes, so I don't These last two it. days you're on sabbatical? <laughs> well. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have a news flash for you. So. Yeah, but obviously this is a big deal, and it's a lot of fun, and we're really, really, really excited. I'm excited personally to be part of all of this in, 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 your, in your life on this. Anything you always, uh, I'm just one step away, and Lisa Delpe-Narati, very excited to have you on with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here. Well, Lisa clearly hints at the global economy and what it's like for the next 10 years and what the trends are. Clearly, at the time, the trend wasn't a worldwide pandemic, but it's very interesting to hear all of her perspectives. Let's now do the Sports Tech Minute. Adidas turns to video games with many sports on hold. Digiday says they recreated the canceled European Championship in the FIFA 20 PlayStation video game in Turkey. And since the start of the month, the advertiser's been streaming matches for the uncanceled cup between 12 footballers and 12 celebrities to its Facebook Live, IGTV, and YouTube channels on a regular basis. And like the real tournament, 51 games will be broadcast. The final could be shown on TV, Adidas in negotiations with local networks. Each match filled with Adidas branding, from its logo on both the in-game ball and kits to the players wearing its apparel on screen. Ad agency Wonderman Thompson Turkey is also creating teasers and game summaries fans are accustomed to seeing around a live sporting event. Plans are already underway to produce another tournament in partnership with PlayStation. Advertising much more affordable in video games than in real life and moving to host esports tournaments should be highly profitable for brands. And there have been a surge in people who identify as gamers and now involved in esports. We've been consistent. The one thing that is very clear that is consistently higher because of the pandemic the esports business. And that's your Sports Tech Minute. Finally, the power of sports minute. And again, as we've been doing, it's not just one issue, it's a summary of many. A soggy march raised over. 20 million for COVID relief, a march into the match at the medalist. Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning, Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady, Charles Barkley, $20 million. Despite the rain, the event provided a welcome live sports break from the COVID-19 storm at a course just up the road from me at the medalist. Magic Johnson's minority majority-owned company, Equitrust, loaning $100 million to minority women business owners as well. The Lakers star, very active in COVID relief, wants to make sure he can get this done. St. Louis Blues trio 
wins 100000 for charity in a fortnight tournament. While the NHL season is on hold, the Blues keep on winning in their hometown, this time via eSports for charitable causes aiding those affected by COVID-19. Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, and Inter Milan announce a charity soccer tournament called the European Solidarity Cup for 2021, just another example of soccer teams across borders getting together for social change. And finally, NASCAR team owner Richard Childress parted with legendary Dale Earnhardt with a 425,000 going to COVID-19 charities. They partnered on a series of events. Childress also auctioning off more than 300 other items from his personal collection. That's the Power of Sports Minute. Clearly more to come every week in a sports industry filled with people doing great by doing good. That's our keeping score for the week. We'd like to thank you for your ongoing perspective, Lisa Nairati, for putting together the Sports Industry Networking and Career Conference, but also giving us her perspective of trends in the future. Thank you all for listening and watching. Let's join us next week when once again, we keep score. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, Reuters Digital. I'm Ricardo. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.